0: Hello, welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief Washington Correspondent Jonathan Carl,
1: and I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. I notice a new title there, John. That sounds that sounds good. Well,
0: yeah, that's that's pretty big. I was trying to see if if Trevor could get that "Hail to the Chief" <laughs> you know song here, but uh, he tells me it's all tied up with copyright and everything else. I, I don't know if he's telling me the truth, but uh, look, uh, we are in the Biden era now, uh, firmly in the Biden era. And Rick, a lot to talk about. We had our our, our first vote, uh, pr- uh, kind of precursor to the uh, Senate impeachment trial. Some serious drama in the House of Representatives, and some big initiatives uh, by Joe Biden. I, I, I want to play I just before we even get into any of it. He held his first uh, press conference, so taking questions for the first time uh, as President of the United States. Biden did, and I, I I thought one thing, kind of this is not the newsiest part of what of what he had to say, but this. Caught my attention because here's a guy facing a very evenly divided uh, Congress who is at least rhetorically talking, like he did during the campaign, about wanting to reach out to Republicans. And this is a bit of how he described his method.
2: Unity requires you to
0: take away, eliminate the vitriol, make anything
2: that you disagree with about the other person's personality or their lack of integrity or they're not decent legislators and the like. So we have to get rid of that. And I think that's already beginning to change. But God knows where things go.
0: So he wants to eliminate the vitriol, essentially not demonize the political opposition. Interesting, interesting approach. We'll we'll see how it goes. Obviously, a, a first big test coming up uh, how uh, his uh, COVID relief package uh, will be dealt with. he wants 1.9 trillion dollar package which would be which would be massive and uh, basically I-, I can't find a Republican yet uh, who is willing to go all the way on that. but Biden's also made it clear, giving us a little tutorial about how a bill becomes a law even his press secretary. Uh, Jen Psaki uh, reminding us that uh, you know the president proposes, Congress debates the other side. We go back and forth, and we get somewhere in the middle. We'll see if it's going to work that way. Um, well, it's either
1: it's either enormously refreshing or unbelievably naive. And you know, it wasn't that long ago that Democrats were in power in Washington and they you know tried to negotiate with Republicans, and their their takeaway from that was uh, you know the early Obama years. Why try? Why do I do that? And that's been a theme that's dominating the progressive left as well, as well as a lot of establishment democrats like we know where this is going to end they'll say why are we even trying joe biden hails from a different school and he's trying something different and you know we're only a week removed from that uh, inaugural address with those big soaring themes of, of unity that were pretty hard to disagree with in terms of the the, the the new tone settling in Washington. but this is the real world test. you don't get to just talk unity forever you got to get things done and what I'm struck by John is like, there are deals to get cut, but they're probably smaller deals and if you want something big, you don't get that many chances with that. That's been another lesson that Washington has learned the, the hard way in in recent administrations and how long that outreach lasts, where it goes, and John, we're going to be checking in with a member of the House Problem Solvers uh, Caucus, a Republican who's uh, getting some outreach now from this, from this new White House. But it's hard and it's a balancing act. And, and already we're seeing a lot of the partisan pressures come back where you know, the left is, uh, is angling for certain things. Uh, conservatives are, are finding their, their voice in opposition again. And Trump, even though he's not doing very much, still looms pretty large over this party.
2: Yeah,
0: I've been—I'm hitting refresh on the Twitter feed. I'm not seeing much from him, but uh, but he will be preparing to defend himself uh, in the Senate impeachment trial. What's going which is going to start in a couple of weeks. Uh, there was an interesting moment though uh, with uh, Mitch McConnell. I don't know exactly how to read it. I'm curious your take. Uh, but I had been told uh, that uh, by people close to McConnell that he was prepared to dig in for the long haul, kind of like the comparison was made to the way he dug in on uh, blocking Merrick Garland's uh, nomination to the Supreme Court uh, a, a decade ago. Uh, but he, uh, you know, they, they, they were doing this organizing resolution because it's a 50-50 Senate. They, they, you know, before the the, the, the Democrats can go forward and... and, and take over the committees. You have to have this, what they call an organizing resolution. And 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 McConnell was pushing to have a promise in writing uh, from Chuck Schumer that Democrats would not do anything to change the filibuster rules. In other words, not do away with the filibuster uh, on legislation, allowing things to be passed by a simple majority vote. And I was told he was going to dig in. And then suddenly this week, suddenly McConnell just said, ah, let's go ahead. Uh, You know, we'll we'll leave that to another day. Uh, Not not like Mitch McConnell to cave. Do you you know why he did? Do you do you have a sense?
1: Uh, Yeah. He didn't have the votes. Guess what? Oh. He's not the majority leader anymore. What, are we watching he, Hamilton
0: just... here? Come on.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. If you don't have the votes, it's all that really matters in, in the Senate power dynamics. Democrats control the place. They control it narrowly. Uh, and he knows the math. Uh, what, what what, McConnell did get were new on-the-record statements from from senators. He cited two in particular, Kirsten Sinema from Arizona, Joe Manchin from West Virginia, uh, putting them on the record saying that they will not blow up the filibuster. Now, they were already on the record saying that, as are a couple of other senators. Others. He got them to recommit to that, which to, to to McConnell world says, okay, look, you know that boxes Schumer in. Schumer's under enormous pressure to blow up the filibuster because the Republicans are certainly going to block things Biden wants to do. He's got his own primary challenge potentially to worry about. Maybe AOC runs in twenty twenty two, so we took that off the table. Now, from Schumer's perspective, it's the status quo. It's exactly where they where they were before. Nothing changes whatsoever. This is one of those kind of Washington standoffs where. You know, everyone knows how it's going to end, uh, and it ends exactly like we thought it would, and it's just a little bit of an incremental shift in the trench warfare. Bottom line is the, the filibuster was not going to be eliminated at the beginning of this Congress. Mitch McConnell knew that, Chuck Schumer knew that. Uh, now, that doesn't say that there won't be a different a, a different sentiment around that at some point later in the Congress, and that's why Schumer couldn't take it, take it off the table, but it all comes down to the votes. Uh, Schumer doesn't have the votes to eliminate the filibuster. McConnell doesn't have the votes to hold up the Senate forever. So they're back where they always were, which is the Democrats are in control. They've got a power-sharing agreement. And you know, so far, they've been moving pretty expeditiously on, on cabinet appointments. Um, and, and they can even come to an agreement on the timeline on the impeachment trial.
0: Well, well, while you're counting votes and mentioning the impeachment trial, we did have a vote. Uh, the trial has not started yet. The senators have been sworn in, but they they have not started the trial yet. Uh, but already we had Rand Paul come out offer a motion to dismiss, and uh, he was defeated. He was defeated uh, in his uh, in his motion to to, to dismiss that the trial will go forward. But uh, you had fifty five senators uh, vote against his motion to dismiss, which means by my math, I'm I'm, I'm I like the Senate because it's an even one hundred. So, but that means I think you had. Uh, Roughly 45 senators uh, who are saying that they think that the trial should be dismissed before it's even started, who think that this is not a constitutional event, that you cannot have an impeachment trial for a former president, 45 senators. Now, also, Rick, I understand the rules of conviction in a Senate trial require two-thirds. And again, just my back-of-the-envelope calculation here, that means you need 67 votes uh, to convict, if you already have 45 of 100 uh, saying that they think that the whole thing should be tossed, I, I'm thinking that you're probably not going to get uh, – you're probably not going to convict this guy.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't Do you think like this my is math? the final Help me out. So I haven't found any problems with your math. Okay. So you
0: went to one of those fancy like Ivy League colleges. Yeah. I mean, you, you you tell me is that I mean is yeah, that well, about I, right?
1: No, I mean, I, I'll, I'll say, earlier in the show you said Merrick Garland's nomination was a decade ago. You're off by about half a decade on that. I'll tell you that it feels <laughs> okay, like a decade because right, right. Trump era kind of warped time. But no, you're right about the math. And he, I, I look, I, I think it's very safe to assume right now that Donald Trump is not going to be uh, convicted of this in, uh, of this impeachment. You've said as much. I think you said it on 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 our air. Uh, a couple of days ago, and I think the facts are, are backing that up right now. Uh, I don't think Mitch McConnell ultimately votes to convict. I've never thought he was going to vote to convict. I thought he was giving himself some breathing room. I also think that the the more space you get from the events, the more. Um, the more excuses Republicans will find to defend his behavior, more opportunities. the 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 fact that the president is off Twitter is a not insignificant piece of this. Uh, people around President Trump are trying to keep him quiet, John, and, and stop him from messing around with this so much. Try to mount what would it, a, a real serious defense because he will be uh, he will be acquitted uh, on today's facts uh i don't think this is the same math as the final vote i actually could see a couple of republicans who thought it was unconstitutional say hey look the judgment of the senate is that it was constitutional i will now sit as a juror and make an independent judgment but 67 votes does not look likely it does not look like it's in the cards and frankly i've been talking to some democrats in the last couple of days who say you know we've been through this before in impeachment where we've got a preordained outcome. Uh, Yes, this is an important message to send, but what are we doing here? Is this the work of the American people? Shouldn't we be focused on COVID? Shouldn't we try to get some stuff done that Joe Biden wants done? Biden doesn't really need this. What's the point of this trial? It's locked in. It's going to happen. It's going to take a couple of days starting in two weeks, but uh, right now it looks like we know it's going to end.
0: First of all, how many times do I have to tell you that there are decades where nothing happens, and there are weeks where decades happen? How many weeks have we had where Wise decades words. have happened? that, so, sounds, like a, so that sounds like a
1: chief White House Sorry, chief Washington correspondent. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. Oh, this is this is this is this is serious stuff. So, um, but uh, look, the the, the the question with this uh, this trial, uh, I have the sense now. I know that that Joe Biden ran into my my old. Uh, my, my friend and my old colleague Dana Bash, in the hallways somewhere, uh, uh, and 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 uh, he made the point that he thinks it's important that the trial go forward, that they be, be some accountability. But I also know that the feeling in the Biden White House is that the last thing that they want, is for this Senate trial to get in the way of what they're actually trying to do. This is very low on their priority list. Uh, obviously, every Democrat, many Americans, uh, Democrat and Republican want to see accountability uh, for what happened on January 6th, but they, they, this is, they want to get to work on, on their agenda, not on uh, you know anything to do with, uh, with Donald Trump. That said, over in the House, uh, there is quite a bit of drama Um, that is uh, uh, happening in the Republican conference and and some very difficult and challenging days for the Republican leader in the House, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, The first is this uh, movement against Liz Cheney. And ironically, you could see a situation where uh, the only person to be removed from anything uh, is not Donald Trump, but is Liz Cheney. Next week, the House Republicans will meet uh, as a conference, and unclear exactly what is going to happen, but there is a move uh, to remove Liz Cheney uh, from her position in the House leadership. She is the number three uh, leader. She's the House uh, conference, the Republican conference chairman. And uh, I've done a little bit of looking in the rules. I think we've discussed this in the past. It, it takes two thirds of the House Republicans to vote to to remove her. Uh, there's a question about whether or not there will be a vote. Uh, but I can tell you this: my sense. In talking to um, to House Republicans uh, who will be who <laughs> will be convening on this, is that Liz Cheney's in real trouble? Uh, it was suggested to me by uh, by, by a, a senior member of the, of the House Republicans that uh, who, who would like to see Cheney stay in her job. That uh, that that it, 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 it's not clear that she understands just how angry uh, House Republicans are with with her move, her vote to impeach. Donald Trump and what she said uh, in, in making the case for uh, impeaching Donald Trump um, may ultimately be seen as a real profile and courage, uh, but uh, profiles and courage don't happen by doing things that please everybody. And, and she's in real trouble. Um, and th- there's talk that Donald Trump and Mark Meadows are both kind of working the phones on this against her. Uh, that is something that I've tried to to nail down. I don't know that that is actually happening, but it's no secret how Donald Trump feels this vote should go down.
1: If the vote happens, um, and there are ways to try to prevent it from happening, but if it happens... There'll be enormous pressure on republicans to 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 register their disapproval for uh for for liz cheney and there's a lot of a lot of internal politics to play in here and rivalries even among the top members of leadership Uh, but that would spark its own rebellion um, among some more moderate members who uh, were told by kevin mccarthy that this was the vote of conscience Uh, and mccarthy's tried to have it both ways on this john he's tried to say you know, look, I, I I don't have a problem with Liz Cheney, but I was blindsided by this. I think if you're in leadership, we have to talk about that. A lot of talking going on in the Republican conference. Meanwhile, you've got a brand new member in Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is an avowed QAnon supporter. Uh, and and now there are videos and Facebook postings that are emerging of of truly vile things that, that she said before she was a member of Congress, but not that long ago, uh, including, um, you, Suggestions that uh, that 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 people like Nancy Pelosi be put to death. I mean, truly awful things, and uh, harassing the 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 survivors of the of the of the of the Parkland shooting. Really bad stuff. And we're we're told Kevin McCarthy's going to have a talk, a stern talk with with her about it. But it, it's a remarkable moment when you've got. How, how does that work? Does does
0: how does that work? Does Kevin McCarthy call her in and say, "Look, don't call for the assassination of any more members of Congress"? Is that is that? Uh... Is that, and, and then she says, okay, I won't, and then goodbye, and everything's good? Or how, yeah, how does I think that work? So. No,
1: we, we, and we think about this somewhat facetiously, but I've talked to members of Congress, John, who are actually scared of some of their colleagues, of some who uh, who have flouted rules around, uh, around carrying uh, guns onto the floor of the House, uh, and that have said these awful, vile things. It, I think it's something we heard around the inauguration, and I think it continues now. That's the atmosphere we're in. Uh, and and look, it's remarkable that Republicans would be you know fending off this challenge to Liz Cheney at the same time that they'll have to deal with with the Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's also, I mean, what an environment for Joe Biden. I mean, you you want to you want to pick a couple of uh, pick a couple of Republicans here and and have this era of bipartisanship. You know, talk you just pushed in every direction, every side, and we have seen, if anything, in the last week, Donald Trump in exile, temporary temporary quiet as it may be. Grow stronger as a force in politics rather than weaker. That, uh, that would you disagree with me, John? I think John, I think Donald Trump today is stronger than he was when he got on that plane for Florida.
0: We'll have to debate that. I I, uh, I the, the distance. I mean, he it did look, and you and I spoke about this in, in the immediate aftermath of of, of the riot, and uh, as the impeachment vote preside, uh, proceeded in, in the House, that that there could well be. Uh, Two thirds uh, majority in the in the Senate to remove him. I no longer think that is anywhere uh, in the realm of possibility. So so perhaps, but you know, but you but you raise a good point about the um, about the fear uh, and and fear from their own members. I mean, you remember Preston Brooks, right? I, I don't think he ever did the podcast, but but Preston Brooks of South Carolina who went at Charles uh, Sumner and caned him uh, nearly to death uh, on 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 the on the floor. Um, so, and then you had, uh, you know, there's a story I've, I've told you, but I don't think I've shared on the podcast before um, uh, regarding uh, James Traficant, uh, the, the former uh, Democratic congressman uh, from Ohio who was uh, censured by his colleagues and... Uh, uh, I think expelled
1: uh, from the House. And, no? and
0: expelled from the House. And, and in the, right before the vote to expel him from the House, he had a chance to speak uh, from the well from from the from the floor of the of the house to his colleagues to make his case against the expulsion uh, resolution and I uh, sometime after that I had a conversation with a, a uh, Republican named Zach womp great name by the way um, of, of Tennessee House member uh, uh, and Zach womp told me that he when when traffic came down to give that speech he was in such a Fragile mental state, and so exasperated by 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 his basically his entire career ending before his eyes, um, that he was worried that Traficant would come to that speech armed, because members of Congress, although this is effort to change this now, uh, uh, don't 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 get don't go through metal detectors when they come in. They're, they they just they zoom right through. Uh, And and Zach Womp told me that he positioned himself on the floor right next uh, to uh, where Traficant was speaking and got in a crouch for the entire speech and was prepared to lunge at him if he reached for a gun. Uh, Because he was worried that maybe Traficant would try to shoot himself, maybe try to shoot somebody else, maybe, you know, who knows? It didn't happen. But but it's a reminder, these are real people, (laughs) okay? And now you have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene who... You know, um, you know, love to talk about how uh, how how they 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 pack heat and have these crazy views, and and now we see her actually, you know, literally uh, uh, suggesting that uh, that that you know not that long ago, not that long ago at all, uh, that that the speaker of the house, uh, you know, should be should be sentenced to death, and and liking a post that said the quickest way to remove her would be a bullet to the head. I mean, this is not this is. We're, 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 this is real stuff. <laughs> this is, this is, this is not heated rhetoric. This is, this is potentially really dangerous stuff.
1: Good luck, Joe Biden. I mean, what do you, what do you say? I mean, this is, this
0: Yes. We cannot, we don't want vitriol. We want to, uh, and I, and, and, and look, uh, as you said, we're going to talk, let's take a quick break. We are going to talk with a Republican um, uh, who is part of the Problem Solvers Caucus, who has already been part of Uh, conversations, negotiations with the the Biden White House on the COVID relief bill who uh, is is a firm believer in in the need for bipartisanship and getting beyond some of this stuff. Uh, But as we see, it is a very, very steep climb. We will be back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Joining us now is Congressman Tom Reed, Republican of New York and co-chair of the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus. Uh, C- Congressman Reed, uh, welcome Welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's good to be with you, John.
2: Thanks for having me on.
0: The, it seems the biggest challenge, uh, the, the biggest initial test we have here now of, of whether or not you and, the, and, the, and this bipartisan group are gonna be able to work with the Biden administration and about Biden's intent uh, intentions regarding working out to Republicans is, is this big COVID relief uh, package. And I understand uh, you've had some conversations um, with uh, with the Biden White House uh, along the way. W- w- where is this going? Are, are they really trying to incorporate your ideas on, on, on this bill? And is this going to be a bipartisan bill or the are Repo- the Democrats going to
2: jam it through? Well, I hope so. And I think the uh, jury's still out on it in regards to uh, do they want to do a bipartisan bill, or do they want to use tools like reconciliation uh, in order to uh, get this through? And I think they're uh, looking at it from a plan A and plan B, and that's the way you know we always have to look at things, in my humble opinion, in Washington, D.C., as well as in life. and you know, Right now, uh, I'm taking them uh, in good faith, and we're in the Problem Solvers Caucus, the 58-member strong organization, equally divided between Democrats and Republicans that will vote as a block uh, when we get to consensus of 75% uh, agreeing on a proposal. And I'll tell you, uh, that's how we got the $900 billion uh, of the last COVID relief bill through, uh, working with our Senate partners that went from eight now up to 16 bipartisan members of the Senate working with us hand in hand. And we've had multiple meetings with the White House, and uh, I will tell you, I take their um, commitment uh, that they said, we'll meet with you, we'll talk with you, we'll listen to you. And uh, so let's see how this unfolds over the next few weeks. But I think they're looking at it from a multi-pronged approach to see what they have to do in order to get something done. But I'll tell you, there's, there's bipartisan support uh, for taking on COVID-19, especially when you break it down into pieces. Uh, a $1.9 trillion deal on the heels of just $900 billion that we did here in the last 30 days we don't even know where the nine hundred billion dollars is gone. Let alone a lot of it hasn't even gone out the coffers of Washington D.C. yet. So uh, you got to see where we stand. And I tell you, we're rolling up our sleeves, building, willing to work in good faith with them.
0: So what are you looking for? What what, what changes do you want to do? Do you want to see? And, and can you see yourself yeah. supporting anything close? Given what you just said. Anything close to $1.9 trillion?
2: Even with uh, reconciliation, if they go down the path of reconciliation, I think there's broad recognition that's going to take you know, six weeks, eight weeks at a minimum uh, to get a reconciliation bill through the House and Senate because it's so divided uh, on a narrow margin, equally divided in the in, in the Senate. And so you got months uh, potentially to put a package together. But in the meantime, uh, what I encourage the Biden administration to consider is, you know, what can we agree, agree upon immediately? So take vaccine distribution. You know, I was one of the early ones last Friday to challenge the Biden administration on the Republican side to up the doses to 200 million doses in 100 days, looking at the supply chains, working with Moderna, Pfizer, uh, General Perna over at Warp Speed to say, we can do 200 million doses in 100 days. Let's challenge each other, Democrat and Republicans, to stand with each other to get that side of the equation taken care of. I also came out in support of the distribution. Uh, lines being federalized uh, at the federal level. I was the first Republican uh, to do that, to show a support for the president, President Biden to say, you know, we're necessary, uh, we could supplement or we could actually take over. Like in New York, it's been a disaster. Uh, the distribution uh, program there, uh, we could have federal resources like FEMA, the National Guard come in uh, to get the distribution of the vaccine into people's arms sooner rather than later. And so why don't, we, why don't we focus on where we can agree right from the get-go and so maybe that's a opening salvo uh, that we don't have to wait uh, for a bigger package you know we can get uh, 100 billion 150 billion dollars potentially lined up uh, where we could even pass that on suspension i would i would i would hazard to guess in the house of representatives to say you got a good plan on vaccine supply plus distribution i think we could sail that through the house and senate get it signed into law, and from the American citizen's point of view, why wouldn't that be a win? for president? That shouldn't be a political win. That's a substantive win for the country. And that's the kind of things that I'm challenging the Biden administration to consider and move with.
1: Congressman, how how does the outreach compare to the 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 Trump administration, the early days or even the late days of of President Trump? Uh, Just kind of take us inside how the Biden White House is engaging in this. I'm curious how they're doing this and how it compares in your experience, 10 plus years in Washington. Well, I I
2: will tell you, I'll I'll start with the Obama administration Um, and bipartisan. I think you could get confirmation. The Obama administration did no outreach uh, to Congress. I can remember I wrote, I think it was 32 even handwritten notes to the Obama administration and literally got zero responses, not even a staff response, like, thank you very much for reaching out to us. And uh, then you go to the Trump administration, and I will tell you, the Trump administration would engage uh, overwhelmingly with both sides of the aisle. We were brought down the Problem Solvers Caucus uh, to the Situation Room multiple times. Uh, Josh Gottheim, my co-chair on the Democratic side. Uh, for example, we were in the White House when uh, Soleimani was killed, and uh, the president addressed the nation. Uh, we were uh, there in the Situation Room when Debbie Burks had landed on American soil eight hours earlier, meeting with uh, Vice President uh, um, with the Vice President uh, Pence uh, in regards to showing that we could, had to do this uh, plan together to take on COVID nineteen in a bipartisan basis. And uh, we were, you know, we were summoned there routinely uh, in regards to a willingness to work together. Criminal justice reform uh, was done with outreach from the Trump administration to us, working with then bringing people together uh, like uh, Akeem Jeffries and the Congressional Black Caucus and other folks to try to be a conduit of information between the Trump administration and us. So that was very positive during the Trump administration. And what I see in the Biden administration as a continuation I think President Biden knows that working with President Biden years ago when uh, Joe Kennedy and I in the House did an advanced manufacturing bill uh, he gets it I I think he President Biden and uh, was always uh, a man of the Senate a man of the House if you would of Congress uh, enjoys those relationships and so I think he's continuing and recognizing it's good to have these relationships and establish these relationships early and so I'm glad to see he's continuing on the Trump administration's uh, uh, practice of reaching out and developing relationships, bring these members to uh, the White House, and also reach out to the members of Congress by going to Congress and use the technology now that we have available to each other.
1: So there's Zoom calls. That sounds fun.
2: Yeah, a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of technology. And when we get back, when we get COVID nineteen behind us, I would imagine. You use the uh, tools of the White House, uh, like the bowling alley, like the movie theater, like Camp David that Trump uh, uh, did. And, you know, a lot of members appreciate that and fl- flights on Air Force One. And and, and I'm, I'm not one into the pomp and circumstance of Washington, D.C., but I will tell you, I, I do enjoy the opportunity to go to the White House and see people face to face and develop those personal relationships. That, that is critical to getting things done, because then you have a relationship based on trust and it's not transactional. You have a relationship that's not built on the moment, but it's built on months and weeks and years of communicating with each other.
1: And Congressman, do, do, does you mentioned Plan A and Plan B, but but does, does pursuing reconciliation also the executive orders that we're seeing coming out of this White House daily, undoing a lot of things that, that President Trump did, these are divisive issues around immigration, around uh, gender and racial equity. Uh, there's a huge swath of things that are getting done by executive order. Does that poison the well at all, from your perspective, to see the president move quickly in ways that, uh, that might cut against the rhetoric of, uh, of his inaugural address? I'll tell you, it's not
2: helpful, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, but uh, having been through you know, uh, Obama's administration, Trump's administration, and now Biden's administration, you know, I recognize that's the uh, uh, elections have consequences. And um, uh, uh, executive orders are part of those consequences. Now, I will tell you, and as I've told the the administrations before, and I've told my colleagues, you know, what can be done by executive order can be undone uh, by executive order. That's why that is a terrible way to govern the nation. This zigzag approach that tears the country apart, and you saw it with Obamacare, and that's why I was a fierce advocate for avoiding tax reform on reconciliation path. We should have worked together, in my opinion, and I lost that battle, and My Republican um, uh, voice was not heard in that battle and as we go forward I would just hope the Biden administration uh, would would look and say you know what don't do it on reconciliation do it on the old-fashioned engagement compromise is not a dirty word and try to get done but I will tell you the forces of extremism uh, on the left are, are loud and strong on the right we still deal with it but we also dealt with it during the Trump administration, and and that voice of extremism uh, has to be recognized, and right now they're going to have to pacify that left voice, in my humble opinion, and and if they're going to stand up to it, they're they're going to stand up to it now, or they're going to stand up to it later, Um, that's coming down the pipeline, so bottom line, it's going to have to be dealt with, but it it does not help the situation to start uh, on that path, but that's a right they have a right to pursue.
0: Congressman, speaking of the voices of extremism, have you bumped into Marjorie Taylor Greene yet, uh, the newest uh, Republican uh, <laughs> member of the House? Uh, have you have you have you bumped into her yet?
2: Yeah, I, uh, obviously we've been on the floor. Um, I don't know her. Uh, I've seen her. I've met her. Um, but I, I've expressed concern uh, about the uh, rhetoric and the. Um, information that I'm seeing um, with her and I would hope some folks would um, maybe talk with her and maybe leadership as my understanding is going to be talking to her um, because one of the things that is concerning when you have folks that come to D.C. and, and I pr- appreciate the passion, I appreciate, I came in in the Tea Party wave, I still have Tea Party support uh, today uh, in our district and across the country and, uh, and what I try to do is just uh, recognize that uh, when you represent uh, folks and when you're a representative, what you do uh, is also representative of us as Republicans as a whole. Uh, what you do uh, in regards to how you do it, uh, we all have to answer for. Um, and uh, what I will tell her, as I've told others, is that just take it into consideration. You're you're in a body, uh, you're in an institution uh, that has been here for 200 plus years, is going to be here god willing for 200 plus 500 years to into the future and recognize uh, you have a commitment to the institution uh, that needs to be uh, taken into consideration and but i don't judge any of my fellow members Uh, that's for the people uh, to be the ultimate judgment of how they conduct themselves in office and what they do while they're in office Uh, i just lend my two cents and i respect just as i respect uh, you know the squad and aoc on the left uh, and their positions and some of their extreme rhetoric and uh, positions that they take, um, I just uh, I give them the distance, but I encourage them uh, to uh, uh, look at a bigger picture and take a deeper breath as they make decisions as they go forward.
0: I mean, I mean that, that, that's, a, that's a very nice sentiment that you don't judge and that you respect. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a full-on believer in the QAnon uh, conspiracy theory, and now uh, we've learned that she uh, has voiced support for executing Nancy Pelosi. I mean, I, I, I'm even out of time getting the words out. Uh, you know, she, uh, she, she liked a post uh, uh, saying that, a, you know, suggesting a bullet to the head would be quicker a way to remove uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. In her own words, she did a, she, she posted a video uh, saying that, uh, that that Pelosi is guilty of treason. And it's a crime, this is her words, it's a crime punishable by death is what treason is. Nancy Pelosi is guilty of treason. Uh, This as she's liking a post calling for a bullet to her head. This doesn't sound like, you know, the policy disagreements you may have with uh, AOC. Uh, This sounds like something else entirely. Uh,
2: Or you look at the rhetoric, though, of people like AOC and Presley and my colleagues on the left, and you go through their Facebook posts and I've seen that rhetoric, and it's, it's repulsive, seen, you, 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 just you, as the repulsive of Marjorie Greene is. And I condemn you, it. I condemn it vociferously. I condemn Marjorie Greene's rhetoric. I think that is appalling. That is unacceptable. And that's not my part of the Republican Party that I'm going to advocate.
0: But wait a minute, you, you haven't seen AOC suggesting executing fe- fellow members of Congress.
2: Some of the things I've seen from Presley and others uh, would uh, get into that arena. Executing
0: members of Congress. I I haven't seen that.
2: I've seen some extreme rhetoric. I've seen some extreme rhetoric posted on the Internet. And I'm not going to get into this battle with you as to, you know, what behavior is acceptable and what is not acceptable by members. And I will say any rhetoric that is of that extreme nature, like what you just articulated from my colleague on the Republican side, uh, is offensive. It's appalling. It cannot be accepted. And where I see it on both sides of the aisle, uh, I will, uh, like I saw my colleague uh, Maxine Waters uh, giving some commentary here uh, that was very, uh, very uh, uh, encouraging violence. That's unacceptable. We as members owe it to the American people to recognize that we have to do better than that. So obviously the, the rhetoric you're quoting here is in the news cycle today, and it needs to be condemned. And I condemn it from the loudest of mountaintops that that is not acceptable, and I will stand up to that. And I encourage my members on both sides of the aisle in their own house and across the aisle, you need to condemn it together and stand together to condemn it and say it's unacceptable.
0: Let me ask you just the last question on this. Steve King uh, said some outrageous things as as a member of the House, uh, Republican uh, of Iowa, and the decision by Republican leadership was made to strip him of his committee assignments. Basically, that it was unacceptable, not simply worthy of condemnation with words, but that he no longer uh, 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 d- deserved the position of of power and authority con- uh, conveyed by the Republican conference. Do you think that Republican leadership uh, should take the same step with Marjorie Taylor Greene? Uh, Steve King never, I mean, Steve King said some very offensive and I remember things. that and I supported uh, that
2: uh, sanction then and i support sanctions by the leadership uh, that they feel appropriate in this. Uh, a matter, and I hope they do take um, uh, measures uh, that will send the message that this is unacceptable. And I would hope my colleagues on the left will do the same thing of those that hold posts of leadership on the left that engage in this extreme rhetoric. So that is how we're going to get through this, is we all have to stand up to this extremism on the right and left as a body. So just as it's incumbent upon Kevin McCarthy, it's incumbent upon Nancy Pelosi to do the same in both of our houses, in both of our... Um, sides of the aisle to make sure that we are not encouraging this any longer. Enough is enough, and I'll be a voice to stand with both sides to say this is wrong.
1: Congressman Reed, before we let you go, there's a there's a move afoot inside your own conference to uh, to remove Congresswoman Cheney from leadership uh, over her her vote for impeachment. I know you didn't support impeachment, but would you support seeing a vote on on? on her leadership position? Do you think that's a productive thing? And uh, do you you think it's likely that we're going to see such a vote to to remove her from leadership uh, after she was one of only 10 Republicans in the House to support impeachment? Look,
2: I I will tell you, you know, this is a thing, we in the Republican Party are gonna get through uh, this. And when it came to impeachment, as I told my colleagues, when I stood in front of them on the conference, This is going to be a vote of conscience, just as the vote on the Electoral College is. But if you're using this moment for politics, Machiavellian politics, uh, I condemn them. Uh, This is a a critical moment in our history that we have to look behind, beyond uh, uh, politics and look what's good for the country, look at what's good from uh, our members' perspective as to their job as representatives, as well as their jobs uh, in the conference. And I think our Republican Party is strong enough, I know it is, to have the difference of opinions where members vote their conscience and we can get through it and we will become united and we'll become stronger uh, when we get through this. It's going to be ugly, it's going to be uh, a fight uh, that's going to occur, but I just encourage folks, and it's Washington DC even maybe I'm being naive and idealistic uh, and rec- and and Machiavellian politics is alive and well I guess in DC, but I just try to be a voice to say to my colleagues, you know what, uh, we can do better Uh, than this. We can do better than this as a conference. And now is our time as a Republican conference to lead the country and do our part on our side of the aisle to say we can have room for this difference of opinion. Uh, But at the end of the day uh, Liz Cheney uh, cast her vote just like Kevin McCarthy cast his vote and if we're engaging in politics let's put it behind us. The country is broken right now. The country is split. Let's lead with a Republican Party that's united Listen to the Trump voters, listen to their anger, listen to their frustration, and let us get through this as quick as we possibly can. But it's going to take time, and we're going to have to not only heal the wounds of the party, but let's lead the country in healing the wounds of a broken country.
0: Congressman Tom Reed, uh, great to have you on Powerhouse Politics. By the way, who was the greatest Speaker of the House uh, in, in, in the history of the House of Representatives? The most powerful, most <laughs> significant... Speaker of the House we from well, ever had. Uh, from, from the, but, uh, and it's particularly if there was somebody from, from the Maine? Northeast. Yeah, yeah. I think there was
2: somebody from Maine, but I will tell you when you delve into him and one of my colleagues gave me his book, I'll tell you, he was Zar Reed, and he he ran the place with an iron fist. I'm not that kind of uh, individual, <laughs> but I do think he had strong leadership and got us through a very t- tumultuous time in our history. So Zar Reed, Thomas Reed, Speaker of the House uh, from Maine, is uh, somebody that people uh, I look up to and learn a lot from.
0: I, I think you may accomplish great things. You're doing great work with the Problem Solvers Caucus, but you are probably destined to always be the second most famous congressman named Tom
2: Reed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they pick on me. I, I have a bust. I kind of look similar to him, and it, the bust is right out our cloakroom on the floor of the house, and so they always pick on me. Just got to grow a little mustache.
0: That's <laughs> fantastic. C- congressman Reed, thank you very much for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Please uh, please keep in touch.
2: I look forward to it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, thank you.
0: All right, that is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. I want to thank our entire Powerhouse Politics team, including Avery Miller and Rick. Rick, uh, they, they, they tell me Avery's leaving. They tell me that, that, uh, say it ain't so. that, that this is her last Powerhouse Politics podcast. I, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to try to get to the bottom of this, but if, if that's true, I just want to say a special thanks, uh, Avery. Avery has been the, uh, the, the lifeblood of this podcast. She has been the one person, I mean, let's be honest, the one person that keeps Trevor Hastings in line. So, uh, Avery, thank you. Uh, thank you uh, to uh, Adia Robinson. Uh, thank you to Trevor. Uh, and we will be back with or without Avery. Let's, let's hope we can still find a way to keep her, keep her here uh, next week.